Today's episode of Future Says is proudly sponsored by Oracle. Oracle offers integrated suites of applications plus secure autonomous infrastructure in the Oracle Cloud. For more information, check out www.oracle.com. On today's episode of Future Says, we have Dr. Luke Julia, a renowned technologist, entrepreneur, and executive who has made significant contributions to the field of AI. Prior to his current role as Chief Scientific Officer at Renault, Lucas held positions such as the Chief Technologist at HP and Samsung, as well as being the co-creator of Siri during his time at Apple. Mr. Luke Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure. So, Luke, I have so many questions for you, but I think probably the best one to start with is just to ask you for a bit of an introduction to yourself and to the many roles that you've had in many different regions over the past few years. Okay, so it depends when I start, right? I mean, 30 years ago, <laughs> I am I, a French engineer. You can you know, spot that after about two words uh, that I'm saying. But anyway, so I'm a French engineer who spent uh, 30 years in California in the Silicon Valley. And I'm still there today after 10 years of research. Uh, I did my uh, doc and postdoc in, uh, in Stanford and then uh, research at Stanford Research Institute. Um, then 10 years of um, startups. I mean, you have to do startups when you are in the Silicon Valley, right? So I did a bunch of them um, <clears throat> and all in the same domain, research and startups is basically, you know, around AI, around uh, connected objects that we said, you know, at the time now it's IoT. Um, and it's, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, uh, connecting to objects or connecting to people or connecting to computer, it's all the same thing. So, so it was all around those, uh, <clears throat> those areas. And then I spent uh, 10 years uh, in large companies uh, in the Silicon Valley, uh, HP, Apple, and Samsung. Um, you know, at HP, I was uh, the, one of the uh, CTOs. And uh, then uh, in um, at Apple, I did uh, <laughs> build and uh, and direct uh, Siri. Uh, it was back in 2010, 2011. And then at Samsung, I built for them uh, their Silicon Valley lab uh, that was doing specifically uh, the cloud for um, uh, for the objects, right? I mean, Samsung is building is. You know, selling a lot, a lot of objects. At the time, they were not really connected. It was early 2010. Uh, and, uh, and so I built the cloud for that. And, <clears throat> and then uh, about two years ago, uh, during the pandemic, uh, I decided to uh, move back to France. And not really, but almost. So, but to, to go to, uh, to work for a French company because, you know, I was educated there. Uh, and uh, I feel I felt that I had to give back something to the to the country, so uh, <clears throat> so I decided to <clears throat> excuse me I decided to move to um, to Renault, which is a 100 something uh, years company, uh, and um, you know they are building cars and uh, they are building cars the old way I would say right. So and when you have the Teslas and you see this, the world that are coming to uh, knock at the door. Uh, it's complicated. So uh, the new CEO at the time uh, said, I want to transform uh, Renault as a tech company. So I heard that. I proposed my services and uh, he accepted. So uh, so I moved uh, two years ago. I moved to, uh, to Renault. Uh, even though I you know, still spend my time in, uh, in California, I, I'm here in France uh, right now. 
for you know a few weeks a year. Yeah, and we had the pleasure of meeting face to face in Paris on on BFM just a couple of weeks ago, Luke. It's always yep. nice to to meet my guests face to face. But uh, a, a lot to unpack there. I definitely want to learn a little bit more about that that role at Renault. Uh, but firstly, I'd love to learn a bit more about what it was like to be in the Valley. I think you've even written a book. So for any of our French speakers, Luke, right? You've written a book around a Frenchman in the Valley. Can you tell us what it yeah. was like to be there then? Yeah, because, you know, I, I hear all over the world, you know, that uh, people want to build a Silicon Valley, right? It's true in France. I mean, we, we tried, I think, here in this country to build two of them. Uh, it's true in Israel. It's true you know, in a lot of places. And even in the States, I mean, uh, people are trying to build another Silicon Valley in Austin or whatever. So, um, <clears throat> so I mean, I, I wrote this book because after spending 30 years there, I think that I understood what was a Silicon Valley, right? And a Silicon Valley is not something that we build like that. It's not something like you decide uh, that you say, you know, it's going to happen here. Uh, Silicon Valley is uh, is a spirit, you know. It's a spirit that is a, a very old spirit that I traced back uh, to uh, the, the gold rush, basically, you know, so in the middle of uh, the 19th century. Um, and uh, the spirit was basically this melting pot that was built by all those people, you know, converging towards the same goal. At the time, you know, it was to find gold. Um, and those people coming from, you know, wherever, Asia, Europe, Mexico, I mean, everywhere, and they were converging with, to this place, you know, and, and try to find the gold and to help each other. And this is, you know, what is happening over and over in this valley. And basically, so after that, it was a Silicon Valley, it was, you know, the rush for Silicon, and then, you know, it was internet, and then it was, you know, the, the social uh, apps, and then it was the metaverse, and then you know the AI, generative AI, whatever it is, right? It's always something that is going to where you are going to have people that gather, and, and people that are, of course, you know, there are a bunch of Americans, but there are a bunch of other people. You know, it's a multicultural bassin, uh, you know, that where you can have you know all those people working together with different views, different cultures. And this is where I think, you know, because of those differences, this is the best place to have uh, innovation. Because at the end of the day, you have so very different people that are looking at some things. And when they are looking at them, they look at them, you know, with their own history, culture, and whatever. And then, you know, they can criticize and they can actually build something that is very different from what would have been built in their countries or in their, you know, circle of same kind of people. And uh, and this is, you know, after those 30 years, I decided that uh, this is more than, more of a spirit than place. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, on this podcast, Luke, no matter who I've interviewed that work in, let's say, the space of, of AI and advanced analytics, one of the big challenges people talk about is culture and trying to build a data-driven culture in the organizations, trying to democratize analytics. And what you're talking about there is this sort of valley mindset, bringing different people together with the common goal is an interesting take on things and exactly maybe the metaphor that people need to have in their heads. Yeah. And really, again, I mean, it's not very difficult to to remember this gold rush. And when you, you understood that, you know, there were some people that were doing the shovels, you know, and the other that were doing the jeans and the other, the other you know, doing the laundry, the laundry, you know. And I mean, they were all doing something together. I mean, the richest were not actually the one finding the gold. I mean, uh, it was, you know, the, the, it was a shared 
kind of ecosystem that was very interesting. And this this spirit, I still find it uh, a lot, you know, in this valley. I'm not saying that everybody is nice, that everything is good. You know, this is what I'm saying. But but I'm saying that this cooperation, competition sometimes uh, is very well alive and very, very interesting. And this is why I love this place so much. T- talking about people, not everyone being all very well liked, but everyone being quite intelligent. I have to ask about working with Steve Jobs. How was that experience? You know, I didn't work a lot with him because, of, fortunately, you know, he was very sick when uh, when I joined and when uh, uh, we really see actually we really see the day before he died, right? So, uh, so it was uh, it was kind of an experience too. But anyway, so uh, uh, I wouldn't say that uh, that I worked a lot with him, but I met him ten years before. I mean, almost ten years before. And the very first time I met him, it was an experience because uh, I was running one of those small startups, you know, that I did in the two thousands. And um, and so well, we were very proud, you know, we were going to meet Steve and uh, we prepared the demo. It was a very complex demo, actually, but it was very nice technologically. I mean, it was incredible. It was a very, very tech demo. And so we're all excited and so on. And Steve comes in the room, you know, with two people uh, of his staff. And we started, I started to show the demo. I started to explain what we had, blah, blah, blah. And after, you know, five, 10 minutes, uh, he stands up. He says, bullshit, and he leaves, right? So, uh, wow. Uh, and of course, the two other guys, you know, they stayed. They said, okay, you know, it's Steve. Uh, you know, I didn't like it, but that's okay. It's not against you, you know, it's because he wasn't in good mood. Uh, they, I mean, they tried to make us believe, you know, that it wasn't as bad. I mean, it was typical. Uh, Steve Jobs, right? So uh, uh, very straight. I mean, I cannot <laughs> say opposite, and uh, but but very um, uh, visionary in the sense that uh, the guy knew what he wanted for himself uh, and for the for, for for Apple, you know. And it was a very very interesting. And this experience obviously didn't prevent him a few years later to yeah. to buy Siri. What what an experience! Incredible. Okay. But your experience, Luke, before we go into the experience AI in industry, which we is always the focus of our episodes, I know you're a technologist at heart at work, but also at home, right? And I thought before we get into the, the meat of talking about industry, how about technology at home? What inspiration do you have based on your experience of how we can bring inventions, data, AI into our personal lives? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, first of all, it's not easy. Right, um, but if you really want, you can. Right, so I mean, in my case, uh, of course, I'm a technologist, so I'm, I'm experiencing, you know, whatever I can at home. I mean, it's not always easy for the people who lives there, but uh, who live there. But but um, but the, the the thing is that, for instance, you know, we are talking about smart home for a long, long time. Right, I mean, and we are saying that IoT is going to be everywhere, and we are saying that, you know, for so more than a decade. Um, and uh, in my case, I mean, I started actually to build my smart home in 1999, right? So when uh, internet was starting, so it was obvious that you could connect stuff upstairs and uh, that you could have, you know, this kind of uh, orchestration of objects that were going to be able to talk to each other and to yourself, you know, and it was going to be incredible in terms of experience. So, um, and actually I, I built it because I was able to, I was able to change, you know, the firmware or some of those things and so on. But I had to do that in order to make it work. And even today, it's complicated. So today I have about, uh, at home in California, I have about 219 objects, you know, in the home that are talking to each other and to myself and to the family. Um, and they, they actually work together. 
because they have you know, this common language that I more or less know forced. Uh, and um, and it, it, the experience is great. I mean, to me, to me, if you talk to my wife, you know, she might not say the same thing, but but uh, but <clears throat> overall, I, it, it's working very well. But frankly, it's impossible. I mean, for normal human being, because it's so complicated, you know, to have this common language between those uh, those uh, pieces. And today, people are talking about matter. You know, that is a new uh, new protocol that is supposed to make that easier, right? And uh, the, the big guys, Apple and Google and, and Samsung, they are embracing uh, uh, matter, which which is good, which is great. But unfortunately, you know, matter started eight nine years ago uh, and it's still you know very very early and uh, i'm sure that at the end they are going to disagree on something it's very complicated to have a standard right and to have something that is going to be agreed upon all those big guys and so i'm afraid that uh, you are going to have to lock yourself in, uh, in one you know ecosystem I and mean, being apple or being uh, google or whatever so it's going to be complicated I mean, maybe matter will work. It would be great because I really think once you have it, I mean, frankly, I, you just love it. I mean, again, I love it. And, and I have all those things that are happening magically you know, around the house. And, uh, and that's, that's great. Okay. So it sounds great, but it sounds complex. Like you said, I'm not sure is AI in industry any less complex, Luke, but, but, but let's, let's talk about that. What do you think about you know, the role chief scientific officer at Renault? That for me is a semi-new title. It's not a, a typically common title in the C-suite. So can you tell us just what are the priorities in that role and what are you looking to roll out? Yeah. So the role, I mean, was meant, you know, was, was built for myself, right? I mean, the, the idea was to say, I mean, since I was, you know, offering my services, I didn't want to replace anybody. I didn't want to, to say that I was going to be, you know, the master or whatever. So, I mean, the goal was really to come to help. So we decided to call that, you know, chief scientific officer, but it could have been anything else. Um, uh, but, but really, I mean, the, the idea is to look because the new CEO, as I said earlier, you know, was uh, had the idea of uh, um, transforming Renault as a tech company. The idea was to bring some tech, right? So, I mean, uh, and anywhere, not only in the car themselves, uh, but also, you know, in the in the conception of the car, in the building of the car, so in the factories, and uh, in any support function, actually, uh, in the company itself, right? And, uh, they are huge, big companies, uh, and they need help, basically, in in, in uh, using the the technology. So, so today, I mean, the work is really, you know, to uh, look at the different places in the company. I have the ability because I report directly to the CEO, so I have the ability to look anywhere and uh, to see to see some places where we could easily or not uh, add, uh, add some technologies and just you know, to improve it. So for instance, uh, again, in the life of a car, you are going to be able, in, um, for the designers, you are going to be able to use those new generative AIs you know, to improve uh, your, your creative process. Because this is what it's going to do, right? It's going to really be some tools that are going to improve that. So, so you can use these kind of technologies there. In a factory, you are going to be able to, because you have so many robots there, you know, and you have so many factories actually, you can replicate you know, between all of them. You are going to be able to get the data from the robots because, I mean, those robots are there for years and years. And you, you collect the data, you kind of create a, a digital twin of the, um, of the factory. You can call it metaverse if you want. And, uh, and then, you know, you are going to be able to analyze very easily through very old AI technology, uh, 
to, to see if something is going to fail. So it's going to do a predictive maintenance. So you are going to be able to see that in you know, three, five days, this robot is most likely going to die. So you are going to be able to redirect the chain, to redirect the workers, you know, for them not to have to stop working, right? So you improve uh, productivity. So that, that's that's the kind of thing you know that is very easy in the factory to do. You know, so so you can do that. So now you know in the car itself. So of course in the car itself you are going to have AI that is going to be perception AI to be sure that you understand you know the, the what is happening around the vehicle. It's going to be mandatory you know through security, some safety uh, uh, things that you are going to have to do. So knowing that you know uh, something is going to go front of you or knowing something is happening behind. I mean, all those things uh, with cameras, with LIDARs, radars, whatever it is, whatever technology, you can use AI for perception and to understand this world and to fuse all those signals, you know, in order to make sense of what is happening around and uh, around the car. And then in, inside the car, this is also interesting, right? Because you, you can recognize the people from afar that are coming and just by the gate, for instance, and the way they are walking, you are going to know that it's the right guy. And so you unlock the car. Um, it could be with face, but face has more issue, you know, about privacy and stuff. And gate is, has less, less, uh, less issues. Uh, then you, you when you're inside the car, um, you are recognized. You can create some uh, sound bubbles, you know, to be sure that um, you are going to to tailor the uh, the experience towards the, the right person at the right place. And you can imagine a lot, a lot of different things that you can do with AI inside the car, outside the car. So, uh, so this is just about the car here. Yeah, but as I said earlier, I mean, you can put um, technology anywhere and any support function. You know, the HR department that needs to write some. Uh, <clears throat> Some job descriptions. I mean, they can use a generative AI there. Uh, you can have, you know, some AI that is going to help the people writing contracts. I mean, again, everywhere. So, so this is what is great about those kind of companies. You know, that you, you build something, you build a product, but there are so many steps and so many domains that you can touch with technology. That you know, we are, we have a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of work. So interesting. We've obviously spoke about AI there. You mentioned digital twin. You mentioned metaverse. You've mentioned some good use cases, Luke. One thing you haven't mentioned, autonomous vehicles. Yeah, I don't mention it because I don't believe in it. So, I mean, this is something also that people were surprised about, you know, when I joined a car company because for years I'm saying that autonomous driving level five will never be possible. So, I mean, of course, we hear, you know, since 2014, uh, we hear Elon Musk, you know, talking about uh, autonomous driving. And when he talks about autonomous driving, he's talking about autonomous driving level five, which is the ultimate, you know, level and the, the one that is going to allow the cars to go from a point A to a point B with any, uh, no, no issue, no problem. And it's going to work all the time. And this is where I say, you know, that is just impossible. Of course, there are many, many examples that are going to show that it's impossible. But I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work at all on autonomous driving. Today, the industry, you know, is something between 2.5 and, and 3, right? So very, very far from 5. Um, and I'm sure that we will reach 4 at one point. Autonomous driving level 4 will be reachable. And autonomous driving level 4, frankly, will be mostly autonomous. 
So most of the time it will be autonomous. And sometimes, you know, uh, you will have to uh, uh, take back the wheel. But if there is a wheel, some of the car, uh, autonomous four for car won't have a wheel and they will be remotely operated, you know, potentially if there is an issue. So, so this is something that we have to realize is that there will be always an issue somehow, somewhere. So we shouldn't say that five is possible, but we will work toward four. And, and four will be incredible in the sense that it's going to save, uh, I mean, bunch of lives. Uh, we have to realize that today there is about 1 million lives, you know, every year that are lost, you know, uh, in the car accidents, right? So if we can, you know, um, take care of 90% of that, it will be incredible already. There will be accidents. We shouldn't say that they won't. There will be accidents. Uh, so there will be failures of the systems. There will be all that. I mean, it will happen, but, you know, we will save a lot of lives. So we will go towards level four, but it will have a price as well, because I mean, when you add, you know, all those sensors, lidars, radars, or whatever, I mean, it adds to the cost of the car. So this is also a balance that you have to decide at one point. What do you want? Do you want cars that are going to be affordable, you know, for most of the people, or do you want cars that are going to be very expensive because you know they have so many sensors that uh, that they are too expensive? So this is also a choice that you have to make. Uh, and a company like Renault. I mean, we always say that we are building affordable cars, you know, for real people. And and when you look at all the things that I'm saying all the time, you know, forever, I'm always doing technology for real people. And real people are not the richest, right? I mean, this is the people who, who want to access to have access to technology, but sometimes you know they can't because it's too expensive. So uh, so in this case, um, I think that it's good also to make cars that are that are going to be safe. I mean, safety is is the key. Right, but they don't have to have all the bells and whistles, you know, that we can that we can imagine. It's a very exciting space. I mean, even you just mentioning, you know, will cars have a wheel in the future? We don't even know that. You mentioned generative design and AI fueled in, in design and engineering. Some of the concepts coming out now are beyond our wildest dreams. They haven't even made movies about these types of things yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So you're saying people. You know, you're about real people. So real people for the future of the autonomous, uh, the automotive space, you think different sorts of cars, you think uh, much more tech, um, you think hopefully less road crashes, like you said, if we can cut off a percentage of that. There, these are some of the big, big advantages consumers, real people like myself can expect in the future of the automotive space. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that we will have cars that are going to be much more um, as an experience, right? So you are going to go inside the uh, the vehicle because you won't have to drive, you know, and to be uh, to be alert all the time. You will have an extension of your home, basically. You know, it will allow you to go from A to B, but uh, you can you will be able to do that working because it will be your office, right, with a big screen, with you know all you have in your real office. Uh, or you will have an entertainment system, right? And that you can share with the kids in the back, you know, have a nice use all the the, uh, the windows as screens, you know, and you know, look at the movie. Or use all those incredible, you know, glass that is there, you know, to do some augmented reality, right? You you drive in front of the Eiffel Tower and the say the the, the the screen, I mean the the window says, you know, this is the Eiffel Tower, you know, built by Gustave Eiffel in uh, 1889. I mean, you no, know, this kind of thing—you you can imagine a lot of things that is going to be entertaining, that is going to enhance, enhance, you know, the experience that you have, and that is going to be just cool. So, 
access to this kind of stuff is possible in the in the future in those uh, autonomous cars that are going to be uh, to allow you to do something else than just driving. But don't expect that uh, that they are going to be perfect. Yeah, for for anybody listening on Spotify or on any podcast channel, I'd advise you to check out the recording on YouTube because I think Luke painted a beautiful picture there with his hands. It got me quite excited by uh, <laughs> it. It's very exciting, Luke. Um, Okay, cool. Well, well, you've mentioned again, um, you know, one million lives lost on the roads every day. If we can cut a percentage of that, that is paramount. That is priority number one for the move towards, in this case, autonomous cars. That brings up the point about regulation and what is enough, what is not enough, both in the car space, but also, you know, just in the last few weeks, we've got confirmation of the EU Act. What's your viewpoint on regulation of AI, of vehicles? Yeah. So, I mean, it's very different, right? So, I mean, you are going to have safety that is there and safety is going to help you to do something in the car. And, you know, the cars are there for 120 something years, right? So, the the jurisprudence, you know, uh, is something that we know we learned uh, over the years and we have, you know, those laws and or those regulations that came, uh, you know, into action. So, that's normal to have regulation. I mean, we shouldn't go against regulation. We we have to have regulation to be sure that things are going to be safer, especially you know in the in the car industry and uh, and, and for the car themselves. So so that part is fine. But the thing is that you learn as you go sometimes, right? So you cannot imagine and you cannot decide everything before the technology is actually kind of mature. And one of the issues that I have with the uh, with the current regulation around AI, and especially in Europe, you know, with the AI Act that is uh, that is being uh, worked on right now, is that we a priori decide what is going to be bad and what we should ban without even thinking about the applications. So we are trying to ban technologies before you know thinking about all the applications i mean this is at least you know the way i, I read it today and uh, and we have to be very very careful because we there are times we just don't know right so uh, um let, let's go back to the to the cars you know and to say for instance that uh, we hear a lot when we're talking about uh, autonomous driving we hear a lot who is going to be responsible when there is an accident i don't know who can i say i mean i don't know don't don't try to regulate that before. It depends, right? I mean, it's exactly if you had told me, you know, 200 years, 500 years ago, who is responsible when a building collapses, right? I don't know. It depends. What are the circumstances, you know, of the collapsing? Right? What, what, what is it? So today, after, you know, years and years, we know that the first 10 years, you know, if the building collapses, it's going, the responsibility is on the builder side, right? And uh, if after that, it's going to be on the people that are maintaining the building. And, uh, you know, maybe because it's a gas explosion, you know, it's because of the gas provider. So I don't know. But this is something you know, that we learned over and over, you know, and and we made the laws after things happened, right? Not before. We didn't decide that buildings are forbidden because they may collapse. I mean, this is totally stupid. So so we need to be careful not to do the same thing for you know, the cars. We're not going to say, you know, we are not going to build autonomous cars at all because they may have accidents. You know what? They will have accidents. 
you know, we would have done the trains. We wouldn't have done the the cars themselves before. You know, if it was the case. So, so we need to be very, very careful not to, you know, forbid stuff just because we think that is going to go wrong. I have a scoop for you. It's going to go wrong. Okay, and but most of the time is going to go the right way, and most of the time is going to help people. So, so this is something that we need to understand. And yes, there will be accidents. And yes, at the time of the accident, we'll have to decide what is what. You know, is it the, because of the builder of the car? Is it because of the driver? Because or the non-driver, but something that was done, you know, by the remote driver? I don't know. Okay, so we need to be very, very careful to not to do uh, that. And really, when I see what is happening right now with the AI Act, it's really not about the applications. It's about forbidding some pieces of the technology and including some of the applications of those technologies that could be very good for humanity. You know? Because we see, for instance, you know, we are talking a lot about uh, uh, video uh, face recognition, right? And because we see that in China, you know, it's being used for a social um, scoring and stuff like that, which is not what the values that we have. And we don't want to have, you know, people doing the uh, the social scoring through cameras. And it makes, makes sense. I mean, just ban this application. But don't ban, you know, face recognition. Ban face recognition for uh, social scoring. So this is the kind of thing, you know, that we, that we really, really need to... Um, think about before regulating. I'm not against regulation. I am for regulation. I want regulation, but I want regulation of systems that are bad for people. Yeah. I think I think this sort of goes back to, to your other book as well. And I'm going to go back to my university French here, Luke, and try to pronounce L'intelligence artificielle n'existe pas. Is that good? Be good. <laughs> and and in it and, and you sort of mentioned a lot about this concept of Hollywood AI. Again, I love that term. And I think sometimes the legislators, people doing this, they're often legislators by background rather than technologists by background. And there's a constant friction b- between different languages, essentially. So for people watching, what is Hollywood AI? And for you, could you define what is real AI? If you're in a company today, small, medium or large, your remit is introducing AI. You're, you haven't been AI driven before. What should you be focusing on? And how should you look to roll this out? Wow, it's a, it's a lot of question in one. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, first of all, when I talk about Hollywood AI, you know, I'm talking about this uh, AI that doesn't exist, right? So in the book, uh, that is, uh, there is no such thing as AI. I mean, this is, of course, a provocative, you know, saying, because, I mean, I'm doing AI for years. So if it doesn't exist, you know, it didn't do much. But um, But the AI that doesn't exist is this Hollywood AI. The one that we fantasize, that we have fantasms about, that that uh, we fantasize, right? So uh, this is the this is the, the movie her, right? Where we think that you know it's it's incredible, it's good. I don't recommend you know that you fall in love with your assistant, you know, it won't lead anywhere. But I mean, this is something that we that we might think about. Um, or this is you know Terminator, right? So this is the AI that is going to kill me and to kill us all, right? So this is science fiction. And, and, and great, I love science fiction, you know, that's good, but it's not science. And AI is science, right? And by the way, it's not one AI. I mean, it's multiple AIs. It's a lot of different AIs. As I said earlier, this is, there are so many applications 
you know, of AI. I told you in Renault, you know, from the, the design to the factory to the car inside, outside, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, there are many, many, many AIs. And, and we could, we shouldn't put that, you know, in one bag of one AI. And, and certainly not in one generic AI, right? So we talk about artificial general intelligence by being the thing that is going to be like us, you know, as smart as we are. I have bad news for us all. I mean, all those AIs, they are better than us in every single domain that we build them for. You know why? Because they are tools. And the tools, by definition, you know, they are better than us in whatever they are going to help us, right? A hammer is an incredible tool. A hammer is much better than myself at, you know, driving the nail in the, in the wall, right? If I have to do that with my fist, it's going to hurt. I have the tool of a hammer that is great. And I do that and goes, it goes in and that's great. But I can use the hammer to, you know, hit your head. And, you know, it's not the right way to use it, but I can do it, right? So the hammer is dangerous. But is it the hammer that is dangerous? Or is it the way I use the hammer? Is it because I don't know, because I'm not educated, or because I know that it can be used the wrong way and I use it on purpose the wrong way? And AIs, you know, when I see, when I hear, you know, AI is dangerous, we need to do, you know, a pose, we need to, I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Don't pose anything anyway. I mean, uh, some other people won't pose, right? And don't pose, just explain. Just, you know, educate yourself about the tools. There are incredible tools that are very powerful. And by definition, a tool is doing very, I mean, the thing very much better than I do by definition of the tool. And it's a powerful tool. So it means that it can do wrong things. It can help you to do the wrong things. So let's educate ourselves about all those tools and be sure that we use them, use them the right way. And then, you know, how to use them and, and what, what to do. I mean, it's whatever you can apply those tools to, you can do it, right? It's, it's pretty easy to just choose the tool and use it. We are in the center of this thing. We decide. We are in charge. I have the, the, the handle of the hammer in my hand. I decide. You know, the hammer is not going to do stuff by itself. So this is something that is very, very important in those AIs to understand that they are incredible tools. They do things better than us on very specific tasks. And when we talk about artificial general intelligence, we talk about, you know, all the tasks that we can do because we are smart. We are doing so many other things, so many things, not very good, you know, all of them, but some of them we are better than others. But, uh, you know, we are average to everything. Those tools that are incredible to any things any of the things that they are meant for. So this is the, the first thing about this Hollywood AI. So the Hollywood AI is the one that would be, you know, us, basically. So that's that was the first answer to your question. But since there were four questions in one, you have to, to remind to remind Take me your what time. was the other one. <laughs> so the other one, I think, like you said there, you, you have however many years of experience, Luke. You're an absolute expert. You know exactly what you're talking about. I think a lot of people now in smaller or medium organizations, we always hear the statistic, there's a shortage of data scientists, there's a shortage of expertise. We have people being promoted and being told, you have to do this, you have to formulate our strategy. But like you sort of said, they need to educate themselves a little bit more first. But for somebody with much less experience than you, looking at this saying, I'm not going to do Hollywood AI, I'm going to do real AI to really impact my business. 
where should they start? Yeah. So first of all, they need to listen to this podcast. So uh, so they need to, you know, again, get a sense of what it is, really. I mean, stop to listen to the people who are saying that it's going to kill ourselves, you know, to kill the humanity and stuff. Understand the tool. Understand what they are doing, you know. What is the good things and the bad things? I'm not saying that there is no bad things, okay? So educate yourself about the actual tool. What is ChatGPT? You know, is ChatGPT good for everything? Is ChatGPT pertinent? You know, is is it going to be right for everything? No. So you learn that, right? And so you play with it. You realize that, oh, yeah, sometimes, you know, it says bullshit. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it does, right? It's called hallucinations. It's going to invent stuff. So if you don't play with it, if you just listen to people who are saying, oh, it does everything, you know, I replaced all my staff, you know, doing that because, uh, you know, okay, good luck. I mean, if you do that, I mean, it's not going to work. Yes, you are going to replace some tasks, you know. So now in your organization, if you want to use AI now, you decide, yeah, I'm going to use AI, you know, it looks great. So think about the tasks that are the most repetitive, you know, that you think that you can automate and that you are going to help people actually doing those tasks by replacing those tasks, right? But the nice thing about, you know, the tools is that those people we are doing those tasks that are not very interesting. Now they are going to have to learn the tool to, you know, use to, to, to use the tool to, to make those tasks. So in my increase, actually, their ability in doing the other tasks that they were doing, because by the way, a job is only, is, not, is very, very, very rarely, you know, one task, right? So, so they are going to improve on the other tasks that are most likely much more human, right? The things that are not replaceable yet saying that they won't be but and so you are going to shine through you know the the other tasks that uh, that you are doing that you have that you are going to have more time to do in a better way thanks to the tools that are going to replace the you know bad tasks right so so this is this is also something that you have to decide in your organization what are the things you know that are kind of look to be uh, replaceable and then you know you choose the right tools you ask you know the people that are experts to, to come and to, to look and show the right tools to do that. And you build whatever you need, you know, for your, for your own organization. So yes, you are going to improve some of the, uh, you know, productivity, some of the things that, uh, that, that, uh, that you are doing in, in your you know, organization, but you don't have to do that. I mean, sometimes a tool is going to take more time to learn or more time in actually to master, and it's not going to be a tool anymore because the task is going to take no more time using the tool than what we are doing before without the tool. So this is also something that you have to be careful not to push the technology just for the technology. You push the technology when you need it. Yeah, and I think you made an excellent point there about the people and the people who are responsible for the tasks that you're saying could maybe be automated and replaced. You're talking about tasks here. Um, you're not so much talking about people and you're saying people are still at the forefront of this. People are still at the vanguard of this. People are still the people that are yeah. putting the prompts into ChatGPT. Exactly. Should, should I mean, you know, be concerned though? I mean, of course you need to be concerned. So you need to be sure that you understand what are the potential tools that could replace most of the tasks that you are doing. And so you need to learn the tools. So to be better at the other tasks, as I said, you know, it's going to make your shine. So you need to be on the, on the forefront, you know, of this thing. 
I mean, maybe you don't have the capacity to do that, but your HR, you know, group is supposed to do that for you. So they are going to train you to be sure that you are going to augment yourself, you know, through through the organization, through the utilization of those tools. So this is something that we have collectively to understand, you know, and collectively to do to be sure that we are not leaving you no know, people behind because. You know, we don't have to because we need the people anyway. Uh, as you said, I mean, the most important thing in, in uh, ChatGPT and all those uh, uh, generative AIs uh, is the prompt, right? I mean, uh, so first of all, maybe I can say that there is no real revolution, right? I mean, I, I'm hearing all the time, oh, there is a revolution with generative AI, blah, blah, blah. I mean, stop, stop it, you know. Generative AI, I mean, we discovered it a year ago. Right through uh, um, stable diffusion and, uh, and mid-journey at the time. It was last summer, uh, summer 2022. And then, you know, ChatGPT came in uh, in November 22. And, and so for the past year, basically, we are saying, oh, it's a revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is no revolution. This is an evolution of whatever we have been doing for 67 years. You know, AI started in 1956. And then, you know, since then, uh, you know, we, are, we are doing more and more AI. You know, we did some logic and we did after that some statistics. And then, you know, we have more and more data, machine learning, deep learning, large language models. So, okay, large language models, you know, what is the, the basis of, uh, of the generative AI? It's... Uh, uh, 2016, right? 2017. So, I mean, it's not new. I mean, of course, it wasn't accessible before. So, in the sense that it was APIs, just for specialists, you know, blah, blah, blah. And here, you know, now you are going to be able to access it. So, if there is a revolution, the revolution is in the prompt, in the fact that you have a, a UI now that allows, you know, 100 million people to use ChatGPT in two months. Yes. So, this is a revolution. And this is incredible. And this is great. And this is dangerous because, of course, all those people, they can access it without knowing the potential, you know, wrongdoing of, the, of those AIs. As I said earlier, the, the, uh, the hallucination and stuff. But anyway, so the revolution is there. But there is a good thing about whatever, you know, happened with, uh, with generative AI is the name. As I said before, I don't, I don't like the name of artificial intelligence, right? I mean, we shouldn't have called that artificial intelligence because there is no, I mean, it has nothing to do with intelligence. But it's done. So it's AI. We are talking about AI all the time. That's fine. And now we are talking about generative AI. And this is the best way, the best name that you could have you know, given to this thing. Because there would have been a very, very bad thing if you would have called that creative AI. Because there, I would have had to explain even more you know, what it's not. right? Because AI is not creative. There is no creativity in AI. AI is just, you know, taking back whatever data it has been there. You know, it's statistical. It's going to send it back to you. you know? And so creative AI, you would have thought that, you know, this thing creates. It doesn't create. It generates. So it's perfect name. When I'm using Midjourney, the, the generative AI that is doing uh, images, and when I'm typing in the prompt, uh, draw a green cow on the Eiffel Tower, right? I mean, where is the creativity? The creativity is not in the generation of the image of the green cow on the Eiffel Tower. The creativity is in this mind, you know, sick mind, thinking about a green cow, you know, on top of the Eiffel Tower. Doesn't make any sense, right? But this is the creative thing. And of course, the generative AI is going to generate 
you know, four, five, six, whatever, how many images you know, I want. And I'm going to look at that. I'm going to reiterate and reiterate until it matches my mental you know, image of the green cow on top of the Eiffel Tower. And maybe that one of them will be actually better than the mental image that I had. And I'm going to choose this one. It's a wonderful helper in me creating, you know, these images of the green cow on top of the Eiffel Tower. And, and this is where, you know, we understand that the creativity stays on our lap. It stays on our side. It stays in the prompt. This is what is important, you know, to master the prompt, to ask the right thing. And that's why also I can make this thing, you know, say whatever I want and do whatever I want. I can, you know, say, write a wonderful article about the flat earth, you know. It will write a wonderful article about the flat earth. Is it true? I don't think so. But, you know, I ask for it and I get it. And the thing, because there are people who are thinking that earth is flat, you know, there are articles out there. It's going to match, we do it, you know, and then, you know, send me an article about the, the flat earth. So anyway, so, but the creativity again is on our side. And those things that generate, they don't create. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. Generative AI, not creative AI. Good thing to remember. And I like master the prompt. Um, of course, you know, you mentioned there, we, we had Midjourney 2022. We had ChatGPT 2022. That has created a snowball effect of everybody coming out, everybody talking about lots of different things. But like you said, a lot of these techniques trace back to 1956 before and after. I'm sure, Luke, that you love being on my podcast. I'm sure that you love talking about AI. I'm sure that you love educating people on AI. I'm sure it's also frustrating at times because you've been in this space for so many years. So I guess my one of my last questions to you anyways, Luke, is what good has come out of this fresh hype cycle? Um, you know, for somebody that's been in the industry for so long, what new capacity does this give you having such interest, having so many people excited to work in this space? Yeah. So, I mean, the good thing, as I said, I mean, when I gave the example of the green cow, you know, on the Eiffel Tower, I don't know how to draw. I don't know. I just don't know how to draw. Now I have a tool that allows me to draw, right? And to draw some cool stuff. And I draw, right, with the tool. It's exactly what happened, you know, uh, 20 years ago with Photoshop. I mean, I was able with Photoshop to do a perfect sphere, you know, with the right lighting on it. I couldn't do that before, right? It's, it's wonderful. So, I mean, we have tools. So what is good about this uh, this new wave, you know, of uh, generative AI, what's happening for a year now, uh, is that we have some bunch of new tools that are giving us capacities that we didn't have before, you know? But it gives us also the capacity to create a lot of crap, right? So, and to and to generate a lot of crap. So we need to be very careful. We need to understand the thing. But once we understand it, you know, we are going to have, I mean, my prediction basically is that we are pretty much on the top of the curve or the hype curve, you know, the, the Gardner curve, right? So, uh, so I think that we are not far from the top. So it means that we are going to go down. So all those things you know, are going to go down and then we are going to realize that, you know, the pertinence is not good for, for the, for the AIs, that the accuracy is not good. We are going to see that the, uh, that the, there are some copyright issues, uh, you know, to build the models, you know, the open AI that are not open, open at all, you know, they, they, they took data that they weren't supposed to take, blah, 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 and the others, same thing. So copyright issues, 
so it's going to go down in flame and then it's going to rebound. And the rebounding is going to be smaller AIs in terms of data. You know, when you see that uh, uh, ChatGPT 3.5 is 170 billion uh, of points of data, right? I mean, it's basically the full internet, right? So it's too big. So, I mean, uh, you spend millions to train the thing, right? So we are going to go with smaller AI, uh, AIs, more specialized, as I said before. I mean, we are going to, you know, uh, stop to think about the generic AI and the, the general AI. Now we are going to think about it. We are going to go again to those very specialized, you know, tools that are in the uh, in the toolbox, right? So one will be the hammer, one will be the screwdriver, one will be the saw, very specialized for whatever they're supposed to be. This is what AI is about. AI, if there is one, this is a tool. With a bunch of tools that are incredible. And so we're going to see that it's going to be better for the environment as well, because one of the issues of those big AIs is that, you know, they take not only power to train, but they take power to infer as well. You know, the inference, when you actually use it, takes a lot of power, which wasn't the case of the previous you know, machine learning and, and, and deep learning instances. So, so we are going to have smaller things, more frugal. You know, so it's good for the environment. We are going to realize that this is another thing that we have to learn. We have to, to, to understand that it takes power, that it's not free, right? And, and then uh, then we will have some tools that are incredible. And by then, there will be some new AIs that are going to come up, right? So hybrid AIs that are going to use, you know, both logical and statistical. And then we'll have some other one and some other one. I mean, for the past 70, I mean, 60, uh, 66 years now, we are, you know, thinking and seeking and redoing and then doing better and better. And just like the name of the podcast, Luke, that's what the future says. Exactly. <laughs> Luke, Julia, thank you so much for your time. Fascinating discussion. I look forward to getting you back on the show in a couple of years to see if your predictions have come true. And I wish you the very best luck in the meantime and keep flying the flag for the real AI and, and keep educating people on what is Hollywood AI and how can we avoid it. Thanks for joining. Now next on the show, we'll have Anant Agarwal, Data Science Manager at Nissan. Hope to see you there.